Welcome back to the College Football Breakdown. I am your host, Zachary Haynes. It is just me for the podcast tonight. Unfortunately, Grant, the Georgia fan, was not able to make it. Zach Edwards was not able to make it either, and Trey was not able to make it. So it's just me, but again, we're going to have some fun. We're going to talk all things college football on the podcast tonight. Uh, the Jaden Shrada situation has got it interesting, as well as some quarterback um, some quarterback declaring for the draft, CJ Shroud. We'll talk about a lot that, all of that and more on this podcast tonight. But before I before I want to get into the podcast, um, I kind of want to have a, a little bit of a silent um, first couple minutes. Um, the Georgia situation that has happened with Devin Wilcox and uh, Chandler Lacroix, the offensive lineman and recruiting staffer, it, it's it's nothing but a sad situation that's happened. Um. Just coming off a, a national championship win. Um, There's an early morning car crash on Sunday. We just need to let them know the families that were praying for them. Letting know the the Georgia football community that were praying for them. Um, I know personally this is this is close to my heart because I had a uh, I had a teammate that died in a car crash. So, I I know from experience what these these players are feeling for Georgia, um, and I and I know and and see from from experiencing my friend who died in a car crash, the family and what they're experiencing. So, from all of the college football community, pray. Let them know you're you're there for them. You're praying for them. Um, I know from multiple football athletic programs, they've reached out to Georgia. They've showed their support for this situation. It's nothing but terrible, and there's there's times in this situation you can ask why. Um, but, but you just have to trust God in the situation and, and trust what he's doing. Um, so again, praying for the Georgia football community, praying for the families of of the loved ones lost there. Um, Devin Wilcox and, and Chandler Lacroix. All right. On that note, we're going to jump right in to a couple of things talking about the draft declaring QBs that are up on the market this year. There's a lot of QBs. This this is kind of like a, a QB heavy draft. Um, there's there's multiple quarterbacks that are potential first round picks and have the definitely have shown the ability and have the talent. To, to go out and perform at a high level in the NFL. Uh, four of those names that I want to talk about. C.J. Stroud just declared yesterday uh, out of Ohio State. Two-time Heisman finalist. Has played extremely well for Ohio State the last two years. Bryce Young declared for Alabama about either yesterday or two days ago. Um, a lot of people are thinking he's going to be the first-round pick. He's going to be a first-round pick. I personally think that he will be if the if well depends on what the Bears do. The Bears don't really need a QB. Surprisingly they have first first pick in the draft and they don't need a QB. I think Justin Fields is the answer for them. But I think it's possible the Bears trade back or they take Jalen Carter with the first pick. If they take Jalen Carter with the first pick, 
it's very possible that the Texans take Bryce Young. Bryce Young has been a stud at Alabama for two years as well. He won the Heisman Trophy last year. Um, he, he's played extremely well for Bama. I'm interested to see how he'll play in the NFL as well. Then we have two other QBs. We have Will Levis, Kentucky QB. He has every physical tool in the world that you would want for a QB. But when it comes to quarterbacking and reading the correct reads, he hasn't been there. He just he just hasn't been consistent with that. Going through his progressions is just not... It, it gets a little stagnant at times. But he's got a live arm. He's got a powerful arm. He's got an accurate arm. So we'll see what happens when it comes to the draft. I know a lot of I know a lot of GMs, a lot of scouts are really high on Will Levis. So we'll see. And then you have Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson, probably the most physically gifted quarterback to come out of the draft in the last 20, 30 years. You could put Lamar up there. But when it comes to athleticism, when it comes to the physical nature of, of how he plays, there's there's not many QBs that you can match. You got Cam Newton, that's this is closest when it comes to his running ability that you can match in the NFL in the last 10, 20 years, 30 years. But, there's always a but, he struggles with accuracy. He's got a powerful arm. He can throw the ball a mile. But when it comes to accuracy, he gets very, very wild at times with throwing the football. So, it's, it's, it's interesting... It's interesting to see in this upcoming draft how scouts are going to evaluate, how GMs are going to evaluate where these quarterbacks will be taken. Um, but right now, I I would per, I personally would say it's going to be Bryce Young, CJ, Will, and Anthony on on how the QBs will be taken in the draft. And I believe all of them will go in the first round. I, I think a lot of QB, I think a lot of teams need QBs, so they'll take a QB early. Now we talked about what's next for these players. Let's let's talk about a little bit of what's next for the schools that these players came from. Because these are big-time schools. Big-time schools. Ohio State, Bama, Kentucky, Florida. Huge schools with a, lot to, with a lot to play for. Let's talk about the Alabama QB room. How to take a, how to take a drink there. Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, or true freshman Eli Holstein, who's coming in from the 2023 class. Jalen Milrow was the backup for Bryce Young. He has a, a lot of physical tools. A lot you can like about the guy. Super fast. Ty Simpson. Freshman this year. He's accurate with the football. More of a, more I would say more of a pro style, but he's, he's mobile as a QB. And then you got Eli Holstein. Eli Holstein, he's one of the top QB Targets from this draft, especially coming with this loaded recruiting class that Bama's bringing in. There's a lot to like about him. I don't think he's going to start over these two, but I think you have to like what you have in the Alabama QB room. The one thing is that the wide receiver room has been lacking is lacked. They haven't lacked in talent. They have all the talent in the world, but they're lacking production from that receiver room. And I think that's. That's probably one of the, the key parts in how Alabama's offense flows and how well they run. Now, one thing with Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson that we have to take into account is that both of these QBs run a 
specific style and have a specific scheme that would fit them better. For Jalen Milrow, probably a run-heavy scheme would fit him better. A lot of option in there, a lot of QB design QB runs. Ty Simpson, more of a down the field, get the ball out of your get the ball in your hand quickly, get it to the playmaker on the outside. We'll see. We'll see what happens with that situation. Now, Kyle, uh, I say, before I say the name, Ohio State's QB room. Kyle McCord, 2021 five-star, or Devin Brown, 2022 five-star as well. Because of what Ohio State has at receiver, these QBs are coming in a way better situation than they would have if they were at Kentucky or Florida or even, I could say, Alabama. There's not many quarterbacks that can come in to a situation where they have minimal playing time and the receiver that they're throwing to is Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Obuga and Julian Fleming. And I can go down the line of the true freshman, Carnell Tate, that they come in and Brandon Brandon Innes. <clears throat> so I think there's a lot to like about this Ohio State QB room that's coming in. And I think there's, even though you haven't seen a lot of these guys, I think these guys are going to be the top, the top at the of QBs that we'll see coming in for Ohio State. Now, I don't really want to talk about Kentucky much, I want to talk about the transfer that they had. Will Leffes is leaving. They reloaded. They got Devin Leary from NC State. Devin Leary got hurt, all right, for NC State. He didn't have his best year, but when he's healthy, he's one of the best QBs in the nation. You cannot deny it. So for Devin Leary to come in to Kentucky, huge win for them. Now, again, Kentucky runs more of that run-heavy scheme. Okay. They love to pound the ball. They love to be physical. All right. Will Levis kind of changed that dynamic. They weren't as physical this year because they had such a great, it's such a great QB. But that's Kentucky's Kentucky's identity is that. Now Devin Leary's coming into a situation where a great true freshman, I believe all SEC, Barry and Brown, maybe even all American, I believe. Great wide receiver, uber talented. I think Devin Leary and him will gel together, and I think Kentucky would be a team to watch out for to contend for that, that second or third spot in the SEC East. And I say second or third because Georgia, till someone takes them off the throne, they'll be one for me every year. <coughs> All right, let's talk about the Florida situation here because the Florida situation is interesting as well. Graham Mertz, they, they took Graham Mertz from the transfer portal. Wisconsin QB. I was a little shocked with that. I thought they would go over after someone more high profile. I'm pretty sure they were going to go after someone more high profile when Grayson McCall came out of a coastal. But when Grayson McCall announced that he would be turning to coastal, Grant, I think Graham Mertz was the guy that Napier needed to get. He needed depth at the QB position. Now they have Jack Miller. Didn't look great in the bowl game. And they have Max Yon there. They have Max Brown, a three-star. Now, he has a lot of physical tools. He's got a huge arm, plays baseball. 
don't know if the mental side is there yet for him. And then we had the Jaden Rashada, but Jaden Rashada just announced earlier that he's not coming. He's released. He's requested release from his national letter of intent. So he's not actually coming to Florida because of a situation we'll talk about later in the show. Now, this, this Florida QB situation is interesting because I don't know if any of these guys actually fit what Napier is trying to do. Maybe Mertz, but I haven't seen a lot of a mobile Mertz in, at Wisconsin. Maybe that's the scheme that he was playing. And maybe, maybe Mertz is going to shock a lot of people. Maybe we'll come into Florida, into a new system, a system that, that highlights the best abilities of his game instead of just handing the ball off to Braylon Allen 30, 20, 30 times a game. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. From what I saw with Graham Mertz, there's a lot of things you can like. There's a lot of things you can dislike. Okay? So we'll see with him. Jack Miller, same thing. A lot of things you can like. A lot of things you can dislike. In that Oregon State game, there's a lot of dislikes. I didn't like what I saw. There is time for improvement. But again, we'll find out. Max Brown didn't really get any didn't get any playing time this year. So I don't know what to expect. I just know from watching highlights and from seeing him at spring camp and fall camp, the type of arm that he's got. Now, let's talk about this Jaden Rashada situation. Because this is one of the more interesting situations that we've come across with with the NIL era. Now, Jaden Rashada, like I mentioned, he has requested a release from his national letter of intent. And it is official now. There is a lot of blame that is being put out. There's a lot of blame on Scott Strickland. There's a lot of blame on Billy Napier. There's even... There, there's blame on Jaden Rashada, which I, I don't think Rashada gets should have any of the blame. None. People are like, oh, Rashada's greedy. We don't want him. He's a, he's a cancer. Why are we attacking a kid that, according to the situation, Florida doesn't have the money, doesn't have enough money to have Jaden Rashada to... to What's the word? I'm trying to think of the word here. They cannot pay him enough to come play. That's the best way I can put it. They offered him $13 million for NIL. That's the projected number. And they can't pay out. They can't pay Jaden Rosado that money. I don't know if it's that they don't have it or that the Gator Collective is not willing to pay that. I don't know. It's a messy situation in Florida. And I think it it hurts. It takes a step back in recruiting for for Florida and NIL and NIL collective wise. The thing is, is if if you promise, if I promise you something, if I say, "Hey, come do my homework for fifty dollars," and you sign a contract with me. And you say, I will pay you $50. And you sign that as well. You will do my homework. You come in, you get your pen, your paper, your computer, whatever. And you start getting ready to write that paper. Or do my homework. And you find out, oh, I'm, I'm actually broke and I don't have the money to pay you. How many of you would do my homework or paper? 
Now, don't be like, oh, out of the goodness of my heart, I'll do it. No, 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 no. You'll be like, why don't you have the money? You're saying I would do, would you, are you actually going to pay me the money that I, that I wanted? And I'll be like, well, I, I was going to get it to you sometime. No, 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 no. We signed a contract and you said that you would pay me such and such amount and promised me you'd pay me such and such amount to come play for your school, to, to do your homework. Think of it as an NIL, pers- NIL perspective. Jader Machado was promised $13 million to come play for Florida. Oh, I got a cough here. <coughs> he was promised that, am- that amount of money. And Florida is not giving it to him. He signed the National Letter of Intent. But Florida's not giving the $13 million that they promised. Now, whether they can give him $5 million, $6 million, it does not matter. If you promise something, you have to fulfill it. NIL is already difficult to navigate. But for the this is from a Gator perspective, Florida Gator perspective. NIL is difficult to navigate when you don't have the, the, the pieces in place to navigate. The Gator Collective, it's not that they don't have the money, it's that are they willing to spend that money on different recruits, on, on certain recruits? Florida could have one of the best NIL programs. But if they refuse to pay recruits and understand that this is how it works now, this is how recruiting works, then you're not going to be up to the standard of the Georgias, of the Alabamas, of the Ohio States, of the Miamis even, in recruiting. It's just not going to work like that. Florida football cannot navigate the NIL landscape with a broken compass. You can't. If Miami's on this, if Miami is trying to find its way through a forest, Florida and Miami are in a forest. Miami's got a working compass. Florida's got a broken compass. Who's going to be able to find their way out? By luck, Florida might find their way out. Miami's going to find their way out if they know how to use that compass. See, not only does your system, not only does your system need to work, not only does your compass need to work correctly, but you also need to know how to use that correctly. Hear what I'm saying? Florida, I have... No doubt in my mind, Billy Napier and that Florida program, that recruiting staff, knows how to use NIL. But if you know how to use a compass correctly and it's broken, it's no use to you. So Florida needs to figure out their NIL collective, their gate of collective. If they don't, they'll never be up to par of where they want to be, where boosters want to see Florida, where Billy Napier can take Florida. It's just not going to work like that. <coughs> I'm coughing a lot today. It's crazy. All right, transfer portal news. Florida State right now is currently pushing for the number one class in the portal. Florida State has done a great job. Mike Norvell and Florida State has done a great job at chasing guys in the portal and getting the right guys in their program. They could recruit at an elite level, but Mike Norvell has chosen not to. It's not like Florida State can't. Is that Mike Norvell sees, I guess, more benefit in the transfer portal and bringing guys in that are even more proven than these freshmen, which it's either way to go. And apparently it's working for Florida State, especially after the year that they had and especially after the year that 
I think they will have next year. Now, let's let's talk about Walker Howard. This is the big name that's in the portal right now. Number one player in the portal, Walker Howard, former five-star out of Louisiana. Right now, the crystal ball is to Ole Miss. TCU is in the mix, and Florida's been in the mix a little bit. Whoever gets him, Ole Miss, TCU, Florida, great potential four-star QB. Now, my best bet is he goes to Ole Miss, but... My question is, is why? It's not that Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin don't develop QBs. I'm saying with who Ole Miss already has at QB, why would Walker Howard go there? Does he think he could beat out Jackson Dart? He might be able, he might be better than Jackson Dart. Who knows? But why have that? Why not go to a place like TCU where you think you could actually where I believe he would be the best QB on the roster? Or go to Florida and I would believe he would be the best QB on the roster. It, it's inter- I'm interested to see how this is going to work out for Walker Howard and the recruiting. But as of right now, potential is, is probably Ole Miss and the destination will probably be Ole Miss. But we'll see. We'll see. All right. Let's, let's move on to Colorado for a second. I haven't talked about Colorado lately. And it's kind of it's kind of sad cuz Colorado's making some moves, man. They're building through the portal. Deion Sanders has brought in three four-stars from the 2023 class. A couple of good ones, Dylan Edwards, the prize of that class. Running back, I think he'll be very good. He decommitted from Notre Dame and then went to Colorado after a visit. Not only that, but they have Travis Hunter coming in, Shador Sanders coming in as well, and multiple Power 5 players that committed to Colorado through the transfer portal. Now, the one name that is starting to swirl around is Cormani McLean. Again, that whole ordeal with Cormani. He said he wanted to... Every crystal ball was pointed toward Cormani to Florida, and then ended up he went to Miami, and then he didn't sign on National Signing Day. Everybody was worried. Kumani said it was fine. And then he took it a visit to Colorado. And now all the crystal balls are starting to point toward Colorado. Now, we're not saying he's going to commit to Colorado. He's been very private about his situation in recruiting. But Colorado is a threat in recruiting for any high-profile prospect, any high-profile profile prospect try and say that for big schools if they haven't signed Deion Sanders is going to push hard he's going to instill a great culture and if I'm a top cornerback top defensive back who else than the study under Deion Sanders one of the best of all time probably the best of all time now what happens if they were to get Cormani you got Cormani and Travis Hunter on both sides of the field that's an elite cornerback duo. But I think people are getting a little too hyped about Colorado. It's not that I don't believe in Deion Sanders. It's that for Colorado the past two seasons, they've been 4-8 and 1-11. and 
that's never, never going to get it done. All right? And especially in the Pac-12. You're, you're 1-11 in the Pac-12. It's horrible. And their one win was against Cal. They won against Cal and then they lost other games against FCS opponents. It's not a great situ- that situation that Deion Sanders is going into. Over the past two years, Colorado has been near the 50s and the 60s in overall recruiting class rank. Again, this is a Power 5 team. That's one of the worst in Power 5. One of the worst. You can't do that and win. So, for people that are saying, oh, but he's got all these guys coming in. It takes more than two guys to change a program from a 1-11 team to a 10-2 team, 9-3 and team, that some people are saying. It doesn't work like that. That's not how programs are built. You can't say they're going to be with Oregon, UCLA, Oregon State, Utah, USC. Who's been building? Yes, Lincoln Riley just came into USC and almost brought them into to a playoff. But he had talent there. USC wasn't 1-11 when Lincoln Riley got there. They still had talent. Do I expect Colorado to improve? Absolutely. But to think that he's just going to go in and build Colorado into some powerhouse the first year is, is, is unheard of. It's insane. If you look at his years at Jackson State, it wasn't in su- instant success. It takes time to build a program. Think of it like, okay, think of it like this. If you look at a building, and you look at when they first start building a building, what goes down first? The foundation. What goes down, what, what then happens? You got the foundation, then you got the beams. You got to build the beams, the, the stabilization for the, for the building. You got the walls. You got the insulation. You got the windows. Then, then you can start getting flashy with colors and design and, and whatever you want. Carpet, wood floors, whatever the wife wants. It's the same thing with program building. You got to put the foundation down first before you put the flashy stuff in there. Before you get the trophies, before you get the really, really nice facilities. You have to put the foundation down. You got to put the beams down. You got to put the walls, the insulation, the windows. All right? You got to build from the bottom up. And then, and then once you build from the bottom up, then you can start showing out and showing up like he did at Jackson State. Going from 5-7, and 4-8, and eight, whatever he was, to steadily improving in 9-3, then to 12-0. and 0. That's, that's what you're looking for at Colorado. You're not looking for instant success. You're looking for gradual improvement towards long-term success. That's the mark of a, big, a big-time program. Look at Georgia. Look at Alabama. It wasn't instant when Nick Saban or Kirby Smart got there. It's not how it works. It takes time. It takes maybe a rough year. But what's important is that you see the improvement and then to the improvement toward the long-term success. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk about Jim Harbaugh. I'm going to take a drink of water first. Jim Harbaugh decided to stay at Michigan. Now, I thought for sure 
that he was going to leave. There was no doubt in my mind that he was going to get hired for an NFL job. But you know what? Whether or not he went in an interview and he rejected it or they rejected him, it doesn't matter. He's staying, and I think he's staying in Michigan for good. Now, I think this is great for Michigan because one, puts them immediately as one of the favorites next year with all the, the help they're getting back. And two, I don't know if Jim Harbaugh will interview, interview for any more NFL jobs for a while. I think he's had two straight years where he's brought Michigan to the playoff. Two undefeated years in the regular season. And NFL teams don't want him. I think that puts a little bit of a damper for Jim Harbaugh. And I think from his comments in his comments about him staying at Michigan, he says he loves Michigan, he loves the relationships. <coughs> I think that's a tell sign that he's going to stay. Now, I don't like to do speculating. All right, I'm not, I'm not saying for certain that he's going to stay. But I, I think this is time. This is, this is a time where Michigan's going to start to shine. They're going to start to not say a dynasty, but a they are they're already a powerhouse. But I think it's going to be a, a long term powerhouse for years to come. So many more undefeated seasons if they keep along this path. All right, last thing, last thing here. I want to I want to talk about let's talk about new dynasty here. All right, it's not new. It's not some new game that's coming out. New Dynasty with a question mark. Georgia and Kirby Smart and versus Nick Saban in Alabama. This is a question that I have gotten. I know a lot of you have been talking about. Who's the new dynasty in college football? I think we need to look at it from a different perspective than dynasty. I think there's there's a difference between talking about dynasty and talking about standard. Now, here's what I mean. And I know Alabama fans are going to hate me for this. But I think this is the first time in 10 to 15 years that Bama is no longer the standard in college football. If you want to build a powerhouse program, you look to Georgia. Yes, you can look to Alabama. They're not not a bad program to look at either. But the standard is Georgia. It's just a fact. Now, you've had two straight national champions, championships, you beat Bama on that, along that stretch. You beat Ohio State. You beat Michigan. You beat LSU. You beat TCU. You beat Oregon. And many more teams. Many more rivals. The one thing I will say with Georgia is I believe this is a key year next year. One, you have a new QB coming in. Your dynasty QB in Stetson Bennett's leaving. You got a new QB. I think that Todd Munkin might take an NFL job. I think he's going to probably interview for a couple of NFL jobs because I think he would want to go to the NFL. So it might even be a new scheme, new system. Now, is there talent everywhere for Georgia that they can adapt to that? Absolutely. But this is key for Kirby Smart in improving upon what he's already done that is great. We know what the Georgia defense is going to be like. I don't care how many first-rounders they lose. They could lose... 
their defense, they could have 32 first-rounders. All of them could be Georgia first-round defensive players. And they will come in the next year and still be one of the best defenses to take the field for college football. It will not matter. They just reset and reload. That's what they do at Georgia. All right? It's the offense that worries me. Not that I don't think they're going to be good, but there's a lot of unknowns there. Unknown is one of the scariest things in college football, but it can also be one of the most beneficial things. There's a lot of unknown at the quarterback position two years ago for Ohio State, but that turned into C.J. Shroud. There was a lot of unknown for Michigan two years ago, being unranked, but it ended up having two straight undefeated regular seasons and beating Ohio State twice. So unknown can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. There was a lot of unknown about Texas A&M's offense, and we saw the unknown. So however way you spin it, Georgia's offense is in a key year, not in a rebuilding year, but a key year to see how they'll adapt, how they'll reset, how they'll reload, just like their defense. Now, if George is able to do this, I personally will say here on this podcast that they are the they are the top dynasty. I'll say it. Now, as of right now, I don't want to say dynasty that they're the top dynasty. I want to say that they're the top standard. They're the, they're the best standard in college football and how you want to how you want to do it. Now, I don't believe that Saban has had his last say either. The Saban dynasty is, isn't over. And, and who says you can't have two dynasties in one? Look at Alabama, look at Clemson. They were dueling it out for a while. This is a key year for Saban as well. You got a new QB situation coming in for Nick Saban. You got a lot of talent coming in from the recruiting, the recruiting cycle that you had. So we're, we'll see. We'll see how these two programs... Again, adapt, reset, reload. That's what they do. All right? That's what good programs do. All right? If you're trying to build a program, you look at Alabama, again, and you look at Georgia because of their standard. I think a lot of people in, in how they're evaluating Georgia and Alabama is they put, they put Georgia at such, this, at such a high standard now and they act like Alabama is going to fade away. Alabama is never going to go away with Nick Saban at the helm. It's just never going to happen. They're always going to be good. They're always going to be competing. What I will say is that we're going to watch how these next couple seasons are going to play out with the recruits, with the SEC East and the SEC West, <coughs> and certain championship games that we will see versus Alabama and Georgia, and possibly playoff games as well. All right, that, that's going to do it for the podcast. Um, I, I'm so glad you guys joined us. Um, again, this has been a shorter podcast. We haven't had both the guys on the podcast um, today and, and, and tonight. But again, again, I had fun. I enjoyed talking college football with you guys. Again, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We are on RSS.com. Again, please go give us a follow. Please go give us a like. Enjoy my time. You guys have a great night.